I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, and this is a special lesson that I realized might be needed to help you understand as we continue studying the prophets. I've entitled it, Two Key Characteristics of Prophetic Books, Essential to Understand as You Read Them. Now, Bible 805 does have another overview on the prophets. It's at the website, www.bible805.com. And in that lesson, we looked at how much of the content of the prophets was related to near events, and it was fulfilled in near events. However, their messages could also have multiple fulfillments, such as the example of Ezekiel's dry bones coming to life. This was fulfilled in a number of ways. First of all, in the near fulfillment of Israel's return to the land after the Babylonian captivity, and then uh, with the future establishment of the nation of Israel. And finally, it's also a prophecy of future eternal resurrection. But importantly, no matter how many times it was fulfilled and when it was fulfilled, it's important to remember that their messages were not their own. They were from God. And finally, the description that uh, from Gordon and Fee that really works the best in describing overall what they do is that they were covenant enforcement mediators. What that means is that they reminded Israel that they had made a covenant, a promise with God and that he expected them to fulfill it. They knew that there were consequences if they didn't. So each of these prophecies, basically the message, their messages are all basically the same, where they say, remember, you promised God you'd do this, you're not doing it, and if you continue in this particular pattern of action, certain consequences will take place. Now, in addition to these characteristics that are foundational, which we covered, as I said, in the previous lesson, there are two others I realized as I was going over some upcoming lessons that we really need to keep in mind as we study the prophets, as we go through the Bible. And they are, first of all, number one, their expansive view of time. I'll explain this more in just a minute. And number two, their expansive view of God's sovereignty, of his requirements, his love, his plans, how they permeate all of life. In the prophets, there is never a sense that God is just to be this little side interest that you only do on Sunday. Now, I'm going to clarify these two characteristics briefly in this lesson, but it's essential for you to keep them in mind as you study the individual books because they can really be confusing and overwhelming if you don't. First of all, let's talk about the prophet's expansive use of time. Now keep this in mind, because the prophets speak for God, they often speak from his vantage point outside of time and in eternity. And they jump around without telling you what is taking place, what or when. Now, I'm going to try and help in these lessons, and I'll give you an example in a minute. But this is one of the things that can make it very confusing, because God will be speaking, and he'll be speaking in the present tense of something that's not going to happen for maybe hundreds of years. And then it'll jump back and forth, and it can just get very confusing 
confusing. Please keep in mind the Bible 805 chart that I gave you on God's view of time. Um, It's on the um, Bible 805 site. I also did a video on it on the Bible 805 YouTube channel. But Basically, you have this overview. Think of, if you're listening to the podcast, think of this overall line that goes from one end of a side of the a paper to the, the other. That's God's view of time, where God is simultaneously aware of and knows all that's going on past present and future. Yes, that's overwhelming, but that is who our God is. That is his view of time, what he speaks from. But then going down from that, we have eternity past, we have creation, we have the Old Testament, New Testament, our present lives, and our glorious future to come. Those are all points on, imagine a line below God's view of time, and we live in a point in time. But God speaks, dipping into all of these areas. So please look at the chart. Please keep this in mind. Now, here's how this works out in the prophetic writings. Isaiah is a fantastic example of it. And it can be kind of confusing. In Isaiah 14, this was written before the Babylonian Uh, captivity. In fact, it was written actually even before Babylon became a major power, long before the captivity. And in this chapter, he sort of skips all that and just jumps right to when they're going to return to the land where he says, the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. On the day the Lord gives you relief from your suffering and turmoil and from the harsh labor forced on you, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, how the oppressor has come to an end, how his fury has ended. Now, from this prophecy about the destruction of an earthly ruler, he jumps to an entirely different one. Now, this keep in mind, this is all in the same chapter. He now jumps to an eternal perspective, and though he is, on one sense, describing an earthly king, this passage has been interpreted as the origin, about the origin and fall of Satan, where he says, same chapter as this previous passage in Isaiah 14, starting in Isaiah 14, 12, how you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, Lucifer. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the uttermost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. All of this about Babylon before it became a a power, before they conquered Israel, but then it jumps to when God redeemed them from that, all the way back to when Satan fell and his final judgment. So all of that, that's God speaking from his eternal perspective. This passage and others, again, will only make sense sense when you view the events from God's viewpoint. They are real events taking place over an immense span of time from our viewpoint. But what's important is they are all under God's view and control. And this ability to speak with confidence about the eternal past and future, this is a confirmation that the prophet is speaking for God.
Some of the prophecies, some of the things that the prophets say will be verified in the lifetime of the listeners or near later readers as Judah saw the prophecies about Israel fulfilled that would give them then confidence that what is said about them would be fulfilled also. And it gives us confidence that God will do as he says he will. However, keep in mind as you read, it can be a challenge to know what will happen when. Don't worry about it. Theologians throughout all ages have been challenged by it. I'll try to help in the commentaries that I give you on the individual books, but more than exact time solutions, keep in mind, more importantly, and underline all that they talk about is the whole reality, and this is point two, of the all-encompassing view of life and God's right to his demands on it. He sees all, he knows all, he has set everything in place, and he is in control. The prophets weren't popular in their time, and they aren't today, because of this single-minded focus on the importance of living as God wants his people to live. This message, their message, encompassed all of their lives and relationships. When we look back at his laws, they influenced every detail of life, regardless of if they were able to keep the ceremonial law or not. And the kingdom had actually split by the time that the prophets we're talking about spoke. But the basic principle remains that God's requirements And hence, the prophet's words are not simply a message to be tacked on to the rest of life. They're a reminder. They aren't just a reminder to participate in religious services only, but God's laws, his rule, his love, his requirements. They are to be the foundation, the core, the focus of all of life. That's why they speak with such force and passion. They aren't merely books of good suggestions, or as we talked about in one of the lessons, just life coach materials, how to be a better you and do this more effectively or whatever. These are the words of Almighty God. C.S. Lewis states well the view of the prophets. I'm going to read you his original quote And then I will expand it more because it's a little bit complex, but it's incredibly important. So listen carefully. He says, in this present life, there is danger in the very concept of religion. It carries the suggestion that this is one more department of life, an extra department added to the economic, the social, the intellectual, the recreational, and all the rest. But that, but that whose claims are infinite. He's talking about God here. It's a little bit confusing, but he's, let me read it again. But that whose claims are infinite can have no standing as a department. Either it is an illusion or else our whole life falls under it. We have no non-religious activities, only religious and irreligious. Let me restate and attempt to apply the quote. Again, it's written out in the notes and um, will be much easier for you, I think, if you see it. But let me try because it's very important. Starting out, he says, in this present life, there is danger in the very concept of religion. Now we define religion as a separate thing that we do in the idea for the Jews of religious observances. For us, the same sort of thing, going to church and just going through the motions, that kind of thing. Religion, he goes on to say, carries the suggestion 
that it is one more department of life, an extra department, added to the economic, the social, the intellectual, the recreational, and the rest. But that, referring to our God, whose claims are infinite, can have no standing as a department. Either it, meaning God, and his total sovereignty over all there is for all time is an illusion, or else our whole life falls under it. We have no non-religious activities, only religious and irreligious. Now going on with my comments, because our God and his total sovereignty is reality, it is not an illusion, are taking bits and parts of our life and thinking we can do as we choose, so long as we pay our dues and do certain expected religious activities, that is the illusion. That God is in control and our whole life falls under his authority is the reality and the persistent reality from which the prophets speak. They believed this intensely because that is reality and that's what they are wanting to communicate to us. In summary, the prophet's message could be stated this way. God created and redeemed his people, and he determined the best way for them to live, as spelled out in his covenant with them. When they followed, they would they would be blessed. When they followed it, they would be blessed. Now perhaps, but certainly forever, because there might be intervening trials and challenges. If not, they will get their desire to not follow him granted. Again, in this life, they'll re- be removed from the land that he gave them, and ultimately, if they persist in going their own way, they will be shut out of his presence forever. The punishments on earth the prophets warned of served to guide people to live the way that is, was ultimately best for them. And of course, when we follow God's laws, they'll be the best for us. And so with these two things in mind, we come to the prophets with a sense of humility, awe, and wonder realizing they see far more than we can comprehend and that they themselves did not fully comprehend the message they gave. Because, though, they see reality in its totality, that of God over all things in eternity past, our present lives, and eternity future, they can speak with authority of the right of God's demands as Lord of all. That is why they speak with the power conviction, and demands they do. We need to read these books, not as fantastical, strange rantings, but as true perceptions, not only of their world, but of ours. Because their world is so very much like ours, and it always has been, full of religious activities and many outward proclamations, but with great inequities among God's people, and much personal disobedience to his commands to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Their writings are not comfortable, but a warning of reality that we are accountable for our corporate and personal actions, and of the incredible, eternal security and hope we have because our God is in control. He loves us and he will forever. I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805.